Thanks, Faye. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all today. If you, I just want to keep your uh, Bibles open there, if you've got them, to Deuteronomy 2. We're going to look at this together in, uh, over the next uh, short time. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning for this time together around your word. We thank you this morning that, again, that uh, this word that you've given us is indeed your word to us, and therefore it is the authoritative word of God. Lord, a word not to be trifled with or taken lightly, but, Lord, a word in which you reveal yourself to us, you reveal your character to us, you reveal your plans and purposes to us, and, Lord, you also reveal the kind of people that you have called us to be, to live in relationship with you. We thank you that you are a God who wants relationship with us, that you have communicated to us, and we pray this morning that you continue to do that through your spirit to our hearts, and we ask, Lord, for your blessing upon this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, America, the, um, in the, the uh, junior football system, the college football system, basically uh, for all the players to be able to continue on in that, uh, in that system, they've got to do well at their studies as well as their sport. And uh, one particular coach had uh, a bit of an issue with his star player in that he was really struggling with his, uh, with his, with his maths. And so the, uh, looked like he was gonna fail, and so the coach went along to the, uh, to the maths teacher, and he, he pleaded and begged to the maths teacher to, uh, you know, to, to let his star player pass. And so the, uh, the maths teacher said, I'll tell you what, he said, uh, you bring him along here tomorrow afternoon, I'll ask him one question, and if he passes that, then, uh, then I'll, 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 uh, I'll let him, I'll let him play. And so the coach next afternoon brings his star player along. They meet with the teacher in the, in the room and the teacher says to the player, I want you to just answer me one question and if you get this question right, then I'll pass you in maths and you can, uh, and you can, and you can play for your team. So anyway, the, uh, the, the player sort of, you know, sort of musters up all the concentration and kind of, uh, skill he has in maths and the, and the, uh, the, the, the maths teacher said to him, tell me what is two plus two? And the player goes, Four. And the coach yells out, please give him another chance. <laughs> Maybe after that the coach should have asked for another chance, hey? I'm sure that there are times in all of our lives when we would all love a second chance, when we'd all love a fresh start, when we, would, when we just wish we could, were able to just to turn back the clock and start again. This passage in Deuteronomy this morning recounts for us a, a series of events and it's kind of like a bit of a culmination, if you like, before sort of like a, a new kind of start, a bit of a culmination about the people of God and, and, some, and a choice that they had made previously and, uh, and, and a choice that they had made which, which really brought about a series of consequences for them, a series of unpleasant consequences for them. Because uh, they, uh, they had disobeyed God and they were going to suffer for it. They were going to struggle for it. But what we also see in this passage, apart from that, is God's grace. The grace of God whereby their failure didn't mean the end of the story. God, in response to the desperate prayers of his people, if you go back several hundred years prior to this, he, uh, he'd rescued them from slavery in Egypt. The people of, of, uh, of the Hebrew people had been slaves in Egypt for a period of about 400 years. And, uh, and, and they'd been, um, put under incredible oppression by their Egyptian slave masters. And they had cried out to God to rescue them for, for, for years after year after year. 
And eventually God, in response to the desperate prayers of of his people, acted. And he raised up a person in the person of Moses to actually go to Pharaoh, the the ruler of Egypt, and to, uh, to beg for his people to be freed, to demand God's people be freed. And over a series of events, some miraculous and incredibly awesome, powerful works of God, eventually the people were set free from Egypt. You can read about it in, uh, in a book, the book of Exodus, which is the second book in your Bibles. You can read about uh, those in, from about chapter 3 through to uh, about chapter uh, 5 or 6. And you get to sort of see the, uh, how God miraculously rescued his people and brought them out of slavery in Egypt. After God had led them out of Egypt, he brought them to a, to a place on the Sinai Peninsula. I don't know if you know your geography at all, but uh, you've got the Mediterranean Sea, you've got North Africa, and there's this kind of triangular shape where Egypt is. And right at the bottom of that is this Sinai Peninsula. And it's a, it's a wilderness area, it's desert. There's really nothing much there at all. And God brings them to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And there God reveals himself in this really awesome and powerful way where on the top of the mountain God descends in this cloud of fire and thick smoke and and lightning and it was an incredible scene for the people and there God entered into a a, a special relationship with these people. He entered into an agreement, a covenant with them and he promised that, that he would be their God, that they would be his people. But what he also did is he expected the people then to respond in faithfulness to him and commitment to him. And so he gave them a a series of commandments, the Ten Commandments. And the people said that they would indeed obey God, that they would be his special people, that they would follow him, that they would obey him, they would trust him, they'd be faithful to him. And then God, as part of that promise that uh, that God had made to to Abraham some several hundred years earlier, part of that promise that was being fulfilled through all this process, God had also promised them their own land. A place, a country that they could call their own where they could live, they could live in relationship with God and they would be a, a witness to all the surrounding people of God's power, of God's reality, but what it would mean to live in this wonderful relationship, this covenant relationship with God and how good that would be and how marvellous that would be. And all the people, God wanted all the people around to sort of see just how tremendous this was so they themselves would want to experience this close relationship with God as well. But sadly, God's people messed up. When they came to the, to the land, the, the, the land of Canaan, which we know today is the modern land of Israel, God brought them to the southern border and, uh, and, and ready for them to go into the land. And God had said, I'm giving you this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, kind of like a wonderful metaphor for how abundant and how fruitful and how incredible this land was. A land that was, you know, set apart from all the other lands around the place. It was just so, so, so great that God was saying, I'm giving you this land. All you need to go in is, is take possession of it and I'm going to go before you and give it to you. Well, the people decided that they were going to, uh, you know, that they, you know, they're going to have a look at this land and see. And so God said to them, well, fine, go and have a look at the land. And so they send in 12 spies, a representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they go in and they spy out the land for a period of about 40 days. And they go in and they bring back some of the, uh, some of the fruit and some of the produce from the land. And they come back to the people and they say, you know what? The land is just as God has promised. And here's some of the produce from the land. It's, it's just incredible. But there are giants in the land. 
these descendants of these people called Anakim. And we read some of, some of the other descendants in our passage to, today, the Amim and the Rephaim and the, uh, the Avim, those sort of people. Okay? These are just names for, a, for a, a group of people who had these just incredibly tall people, incredibly powerful, strong people, giants. And their cities were fortified with huge big walls. And the people were scared and afraid that if they go into the land, then they'll be killed. That it was too dangerous to go into the land. And so 10 of the spies, 10 of the 12, convinced the people of God that we can't trust God. We can't trust God. The land is, although it's just as God said it is, it's too dangerous to go in. So let's just turn around and go back the other way. The people refused to obey God. They refused to trust God. And in fact, what happened is that the people got angry at God. How dare you bring us out of out of Egypt, where you know they're sort of starting to get this misperception of what it was like back in Egypt. You know, back there we had it really good. Yet they'd been praying to God to set them free from this slavery. And now they're angry at God because he'd done just as they'd asked him to, brought them to the land that he promised them, and they said, you brought us here to die. And here in Deuteronomy 2, we kind of pick up the story. As a, and as a result of the refusal to obey God, as a result of the people's refusal to trust him, they were going to suffer some pretty severe consequences. And for a period of about between 38 and 40 years, this group of people wandered around in that Sinai Peninsula, in that wilderness, until that generation, that disobedient generation, had died out. Look at verse 1. In chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 2, it says, Then we turned, turned away from the land of Canaan and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And for many days we travelled around Mount Seir. That many days as I said, is around about between 38 and 40 years. Put your hand up here if you're uh, under 20. Oh, there's a few. All right, so if you can imagine, say, uh, say if you were um, 14 at the moment, okay? So we've got, this will be a period of time from when you're 14 right through until you are going to be in your mid-50s. Can you imagine that, younger people? Hmm? What about some of you folk who are in your uh, 30s now? This is a period of time where you're just wandering around in the wilderness until you're in your 70s. You can do the math for yourself. It's a long time, isn't it, to be wandering around in this wilderness. And the reason they were there is because they didn't want to trust God and so God gave them their wish. Because they didn't want to enter into the promised land, the promised land would no longer be an option for them. But even though they were barred from entering the promised land, what we find in this passage is that God, in his mercy, still takes care of them. Look at verse 7 this morning in our passage. It says this. If I can read it without my glasses. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Did you see that? 
For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hands to the point that you have lacked nothing. Even though you have rebelled against God, even though you have been unfaithful to God, even though you've turned your back on God and even got angry at God, God says, I am still going to take care of you. I am going to bless the work of your hands and you will lack nothing. Psalm 103 verses 8 to 10 says this, speaking of God, says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, that is to scold or reprimand, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's who God is. Although the people have rebelled against God, he continued to, to care for them. And as you read about what, it ta- what takes place, and you can again, you can read about that through the end of Exodus and into the book of Numbers. You can read about God's faithfulness to his people, how he uh, um, basically continued to provide food for them every day, manna and quail from heaven, how he provided water for them there in the desert in the wilderness. God watched over his people. And although it would be this generation's children who would have the better future and that they would be the ones who were able to enter the promised land, even the rebels, those people who had rebelled against God, still had something to be thankful for to God. See, what we need to understand about God is that because God is completely perfect in, in every single way, that means God is perfect in his holiness and in his righteousness and in his justice. And because God is perfect in that, he cannot do anything apart from judge and condemn our sin, our rebellion and our our rejection of God and his ways. God has no choice because that is his character, that is who he is. He can act in no other way. This passage speaks about the fact that God's hand was against this particular generation because of their sinfulness, because of their, their, disobe- their, their disobedience, because of their failure to trust God. God must judge and condemn our sin. But God is a merciful God and a compassionate God, as we've just seen, in that he takes care of his people, even though his, his, his hand is still against them in the judgment. They're not going to be able to enter into all the blessings that God had for them. But God is also gracious. Now, mercy, I don't know if you've sort of ever thought about this before, but sometimes people confuse mercy and grace. They sort of lump them all in together. But mercy is, 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 getting, is not getting what we do deserve. That's what mercy is. It's not getting what we do deserve. But grace is getting what we don't deserve. And God's grace ensure that even in the wilderness, the people were still looked after. Another point of God's grace in this passage is the way in which he makes clear that he also provides for those people that are not his own. 
He speaks about the Edomites and the Moabites and the Ammonites and how he had provided for them a land of their own. How he had, you know, uh, had, had given them, you know, a place where they could dwell and where they could live and where they could, you know, live their lives and then have, you know, the, the, the things that they would need for their lives. We see that, you know, in verses 4 to 6 and verse 9 and verses 16 to 19 of our passage this morning. And I'm not going to go through all that today. You can go back and read that for yourselves. But, but all through that, we see God's hand in providing for these different groups of people. See, whether we choose to believe in God or not, the Bible teaches, it that, teaches us that God's grace is upon all of us. God's grace is upon all of his creation. He is the great provider and sustainer. In fact, the very life that you have today, the very breath in your lungs is indeed a gift from God. God sustains you and God upholds you. All of the blessings that we enjoy today in our lives are from God. All of the things which you can be thankful for today, you can be thankful for to God because he is the one, as the creator of all things, has given them to you. Matthew chapter chapter 5 and verse 45 says this, For he, that is God, makes his sun rise on, on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the on, un, and on the unjust. You taking a look outside today? You seen what a beautiful and glorious day God has given us today? That in itself is a gift from God. As I said, your very life is a gift from God. Your families, your your abilities to you know to 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 enjoy your life, to be able to do you know the things that you're able to do, the skills that you have, the abilities you, you have, the mental knowledge and capacities that you have, all of those things come from your Creator as a blessing to you. Another thing we learn about God from this passage is that he, God never goes back on His promises. He's always faithful and He's always trustworthy. He'd promised to give this land of Canaan to his people, this promised land, and nothing was going to prevent that. Nothing was going to stop God from doing that, even though there were these disobedient and uncooperative hearts and lives to deal with. Here in Deuteronomy 2, we see the commencement of this fresh start for the people of God. Because once again, he's going to lead them to the borders of this promised land and invite them to go in and to trust him to go in and possess this land. What would be their response? What choices would they make this time, some 38 years later? Would they learn the lessons from their parents and grandparents? Would they see that it is foolish to disobey God? Would they show faith and trust in God and enter into all the blessings that he had promised them? Of course, throughout this section of scripture, we see exactly that, don't we? We see these people finally starting to listen to God and obey him. He says, do not contend with these different groups of people. And so they trust God and they don't. God says, I've got something better for you in the future. You don't need to grab the here and now. You don't need to think that this is what I have for you. I've got something better for you. So trust me. You don't need to fight against these people. 
You don't need to take their land because there's something better for you. And that is a message for us today as, as people who trust God and as people who may not have a relationship with God, that God, if you trust him, will indeed lead you and guide you and direct you in his ways in order to bless you, in order to give you that future and that hope. As Carissa spoke about this morning at the beginning of our service. If you go over to verse 13 of our passage this morning, God says to them through Moses, he says, Now rise up and go over the brook Zered. And so it says we went over the brook. And the time from our leaving Kadesh Barnea, which was that southern part of Canaan where they first disobeyed God, until we crossed this brook was 38 years. This particular incident is quite significant in this passage here this morning, this brook. A brook is kind of like a little, you know, sort of like small creek or stream or something like that. It's, it's not like a huge big river, but it's still, a, it's still a body of water. And God said, I want you to cross over this brook and begin to move forward. And what we, what we need to understand here is the crossing of this brook Zered marked an end to the judgment of God on that rebellious generation. They had now since all died out and it was a new generation of people that God was going to be moving forward with. So this brook Zered, if you like, marked a line in the sand, so to speak. And from this point on, God was saying, now I am giving you a fresh start, a second chance. And from here they'd continue to head north and they'd begin, they would begin to conquer the land that God had promised them, starting with Sihon, the king of Heshbon, or the region known as, as the Transjordan, which is kind of like east of the Jordan River, whereas we, we kind of know Jordan, the country of Jordan now on the, on the eastern side of the, uh, the Jordan River from Israel. And these victories that God would give him over this king Sihon and another king Og that we read about in chapter 3, along with the dread and the fear that the people of the land would, would, would have come upon them in relation to God's people, God, through these things, would prove to his people that he was able to give them victory in Canaan as well, in Israel. It would now be the people of the land who would be fearful, not the people of God. See how God turned it all around? I don't know about you, but you know I'm so thankful for second chances. I was watching uh, oh, the last ten minutes of the um, UEFA Champions League this morning for all you football fans. That's soccer, by the way, for uh, for you uneducated. <laughs> it's all right. Sorry. Real Madrid were playing were playing Atletico Madrid. Real Madrid had won Champions Leagues before. Atletico Madrid had never won a Champions League ever. And it came all the way down to extra time. And at the end of extra time, they were still levels. They had to go to penalties. And uh, what happens is that in penalties, you know, one team's got to get at least one penalty head. You know, one team's got to miss, basically. And uh, so it went through the series of penalties and it got to three all. And there were three all on penalties. And then the, the fellow from, uh, from um, Real Madrid stood up and he got his penalty. So it was 4-3, which was all the pressures now on this Atletico Madrid fellow who stepped up to take this penalty. And he uh, took his time and he came up and he kicked the ball. And it went and it would look like it was going in the side of the net and it hit the post and bounced out. And you could hear the, oh, no, go around, echo around the ground. And the next fellow from Real Madrid stepped up and scored the penalty and they won the UEFA Champions League. 
Can you imagine that fellow from Atletico Madrid who missed a penalty? How much he would give to have that penalty all over again? I'm so thankful to God for second chances, for fresh starts. You know, God's desire is for us to know him in a deeply intimate and personal way. To walk in his ways. Because God says this is for your good. God has your good at heart. Thankfully, God has made it possible for all of us to do that. To be made right with him. To live in relationship with him, even though we have rebelled against him. Even though we fail to acknowledge God's goodness and his grace towards us. Even though we have disobeyed his commands and sinned against God. All of these things are what, we refer, what the Bible refers to as sin. Not giving God that rightful place that he deserves. Not acknowledging him for who he is. Not worshipping him for who he is. And although God has no choice but to judge us for it and condemn us for our sin... Because he is also a God of love, he chose to pay for our sin himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He chose to pour out his righteous wrath upon himself in Jesus there on the cross. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. And by admitting our sin... And our need to be made right with God through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can have that fresh start that we all long for. Every single one of us can have that fresh start to know God and to know that we are his forever and ever and ever. And all of the promises and all of the blessings that are his both now and in eternity will be guaranteed us. And yet, you know what, we'll still sin and we'll still grieve God. And we'll still, you know, we'll still be unfaithful and we'll still lack it and we'll still lack trust in Him at times. But because Jesus has paid for our sins, both past, present and future, we can then come to God and admit that we've made a mistake and we can know that God will give us His cleansing and forgiveness time and time and time again. The first letter of John, right at the very end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible is Revelation. There's a few letters just before that. The first letter of John, John says in in chapter 1 and verse 9, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If we come and we, we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because Jesus has paid for our sins, God no longer holds them against us. Because of even though we've failed and even though we've made mistakes and even though our lives might be an absolute mess right now, if we come to God and ask for his cleansing and his forgiveness, he promises to forgive us and then he promises to be with us. And he may not change the consequences that we've got to suffer for our choices, but he promises to be with us. He promises to give us a hope. He promises to give us courage. He promises to give us uh, uh, just a strength to be able to face all the things that we face in our lives, knowing that one day he will lead us into home in heaven where everything will finally be put right. That's the kind of God we, we love and serve and worship. 
You know, in the sad aftermath of failing God, I don't know about you, but you know, when I disobey God, when I make foolish choices, the temptation is, is, to, is to think that God could never forgive us again. Is to think that, you know what, we've just stuffed up one too many times and we have just exhausted God's patience and forgiveness. That can never happen in Jesus. That can never, ever happen in Jesus. Because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for all sin. No matter how bad your sin is, Jesus' sacrifice was enough. And if you incline then to think that God could never forgive you, to think that, uh, you know, that you are going to be bound up in your fear and in, and in your, your, your remorse and your guilt and that sort of thing for the rest of your lives, God wants you to know today that his grace is sufficient for you. His grace extends much, much further than your sin and your guilt could ever extend. There is no end to God's mercy and grace. With God, failure does not need to be the end of the story, folks. That's what we learn from this passage today. Because with God, with God, there is always hope. And maybe today you might need to heed these words of God. You might need to heed God's words to you today because maybe today... God is figuratively calling for you to cross over that brook Zered. To cross over that, that mark into the sand, that, that line in the sand to begin a fresh start with him today. To put the past behind you and know of the incredible blessings that awaits you on a journey of faith and obedience to God for the rest of your lives. Jesus has made that possible for you today. Just as the water of the brook would have washed the dust of the wilderness off the feet of the Israelites, Jesus himself can wash you free from the stain of your guilt and sin forever. He can do that afresh today. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that what we all desperately need? Deep down in your heart, isn't that what you really want? You want that fresh start. You want to have that assurance of knowing that you are right with God. That you are his no matter what. God invites you this morning to come. To come to him. To cross over that brook. To come to Jesus. Accept his forgiveness and cleansing for your sin. To acknowledge your need for him. And God will make you a new creation. And he will set you on a new path in life. A new path that will lead to the greatest blessing ever of being forever with God in heaven when this life is over. But also knowing that even today in the midst of your life that you are not there on your own but God is with you. Isn't that something to really look forward to and to long for in our hearts? I trust it is. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we just hear your word to us, we want to thank you that you are indeed a God who is righteous and just. We want to thank you that you are a God who indeed punishes that which is wrong because we ourselves want to see wrong punished. We want to see evil punished. 
But what we don't want to admit is that we ourselves are sinners in need of cleansing and forgiveness, in need of being restored into a proper relationship with you. We thank you today, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, for the fact that you have indeed, out of your love and compassion for us, provided a way to be reconciled to you, to be put into a right relationship with you where we no longer need fear you, where we no longer need to struggle and, and to wallow in that guilt and that shame Lord, to be completely discouraged in our hearts, we can come to Jesus today and acknowledge our need for him, acknowledge our need for, for you in our lives and to want to follow in your ways. And as we do that, as we confess our sins, as we've just learned, you are indeed faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us, to make us new, to give us that fresh start. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. May each heart here in this place today go out into this day with that wonderful hope of knowing that if we do this, that no matter what we face in our lives, you will be there to help us. And no matter how many times we muck it up, you will always be there to give us a fresh start and a second chance. Amen.